Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend this time with us, whether you are viewing this on YouTube or listening to it on iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon. We're so very grateful for your presence here with us. We always invite you to send us your concerns, your comments. You can reach me at Fred Jeff Smith at cox.net, Fred Jeff Smith at cox.net. Let us know how we are doing or what we can do to make this uh, better for you. I'm extremely happy to welcome back uh, to the Thrive Podcast, uh, Metro Councilwoman Erica Green. Uh, she's the representative for District 5 uh, on our Metro Council. And she is here running as a candidate for Family Court Judge Division B. Councilwoman Green, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us. Thank you for having me, Pastor Smith. It's always a joy to be back in Shiloh. Well, thank you, <laughs> And South Baton Rouge. Thank you. So how are things going uh, uh, with the Metro Council? I, I know we're going to talk about the judgeship, but <laughs> I, I, I want to talk about the Metro Council for just just a couple of things, if you don't mind. Okay, no problem. How are things going? <clears throat> so I think we have a, a, a new council that is more um, open. I'm not going to use the word progressive, but open to having conversations about um, issues across the city. Um, I think um, I don't. Even, I don't want to say there's a learning curve. We have two council members that were previous council members in their respective areas, mm -hmm. so they kind of understand the dynamic of um, budgets and, and city parish operations. And so I think they bring that knowledge in, and um, and then you have two new uh, African-American council members who are go-getters, who are very um, issue-based. Mm -hmm. I think they have um, their, their their tunnel vision uh, on what they want to see happen in the, in the uh, community and in our city, and they are pushing for those concerns. And, and you know, they have lots of energy now, so mm -hmm. I think it's a good time for um, Baton Rouge to, to move some things forward. I've been concerned about some of the issues that have uh, appeared before the council recently. Uh, uh, Mr. Hudson uh, trying to uh, redirect designated funds away from uh, uh, Breck and uh, not not Breck. No. Uh, not Breck. Uh, uh, he chose. Um, he chose mosquito abatement and the library and the system. library. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Forgive me, I didn't mean break. <laughs> um, uh, just a matter of time, they're gonna get there. Um, and I was delighted to see that that did not happen. Uh, one of the concerns that I have. Uh, and I, I don't know if I shared this with you the last time you were here or not, uh, but the entire tax system in Louisiana needs to be reviewed. Uh, uh, first of all, the amount of money that he was talking about taking wouldn't have been a drop in the bucket to what's needed in order to do what he says you're going to do. So uh, perhaps it was symbolism or anything like that. But 
it it, it was defeated. Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts about that? Um, I, I think that it is a foreshadowing of <clears throat> where some some council members' mindset may be. I I, I actually think that um, designated taxes and, and for my purposes of you know I'm a chair board, chairman of Cats mm-hmm. Board and we are seeking a tax renewal. Yes. And every week I'm looking at budgets to see if we're with the property taxes that we are receiving and the revenue that we receive it's enough it's never enough and i know that both well i'm going to speak on the library system i know that they work very hard to utilize their budget to the max they work hard to find additional funding mm-hmm. um but anybody that has a dedicated tax is reason it's needed and so for to um, to say that oh we're going to take this percentage or this amount or this sense from that tax and we know that we know for certain that they can operate because they have a surplus mm-hmm. you, you you i'm no mathematician but you're not considering all the things that that organization does and and the the salaries that they include a lot of their your simple operating budgets are salaries right. and many people work in the library system absolutely and um Mosquito abatement does a lot for the community, as uh, people don't know. They have free services that they offer. Um, you know, I think that there there needs to be a conversation, but I don't think you just specifically say we're going to take it for drainage and it's drainage. And again, what I said at the meeting was that you are still forgetting that there is Zachary and Central, a baker that have ded- that are receiving that dedicated funding. Mm-hmm. We won't control what they do with the money when they get it sent to them after we um, transfer it over. You would hope that they will use it for drainage so you're still doing a false narrative and telling people and telling the citizens that this is all going to go to drainage mm-hmm. and you're doing a false narrative when you're not stating how much money is going to drainage we've approved pretty much on every council agenda the last three one three council agendas money for the drainage system and again it's, it's some some of it is federal funding so it's a one-time you know cash out but mm-hmm. But there, there needs to be other con- conversations about manpower and employment. We all know we, we see it on the national news uh, every every night. The polarization that exists in national politics is it as polarizing in local politics? Is is there polarization within the Metro Council? I mean, we're we're no saint. Tammany, so <laughs> we're no extension. I'm not getting a car key, so I don't know if it's polarized. I think the the last guard was very much along the lines, mm-hmm. and they knew what the agenda items were for the for their their um um I don't want to say side party for mm-hmm. their party. They stuck with it. They ran with it. They utilize their state elected officials to push the local local members to do what needs to be done. I think I think this is a new group, mm-hmm. and and they may not be following, you know, all of the things, you know, just kind of like the state legislature, you know, the Black Caucus is now standing up for certain things, right, and not taking any, you know, I- any changes in that. If you don't want to go through with it, then I think it. I think that we're holding strong as as our block for mm-hmm. our block. Um, so I won't say it's fully polarized. Um, I think that we're we're starting to engage a lot more people though. So it may they, the constituency may be more engaged to mm-hmm. to say this is it should we should be along this this uh, national agenda. Census uh, 
information just came out uh, mm -hmm. yesterday, uh, the, the beginnings of it, and I'm sure more details are going to be coming out in the coming I'm days. sure happy I do research, because you come with it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the census came out. We are 46% gold. <laughs> yes, and we are the largest parish in the state by populace. Uh, not uh, Orleans, not Jefferson, but East Baton Rouge. What exactly does it mean when, when you see that East Baton Rouge Parish is the largest? How does that translate into government? How does that translate into services? How does that translate into dollars? So I just said that this morning on an, another interview, I said that, um, for instance, the cats tax, that the individuals that are riding and the ridership that we service are um, coming from a certain community, a mm -hmm. disenfranchised community, and they have no other options. So if we are largely the largest populated area um, city in the state of Louisiana, we need public support. We need public transit. Mm -hmm. We need housing, mm -hmm. affordable housing available, because everybody cannot afford, and we saw with the unemployment numbers and things like that. Everybody can afford to provide their families the opportunity that they want. Mm -hmm. So yes, services will be impacted. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have to look at um, if we are providing enough funding to stabilize uh, a transit system, enough funding to stabilize, um, like I said, housing, uh, or even the education system. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if that's the case, then what the general population says is, you know, the norm or um, the standard is going to have to change because they are in the, there's a group of people that are missing many services. And that group, like if we, if we don't have public transit, we're going to have a lot of transportation issues. We got we have a number of infrastructure improvements happening, but traffic is going to be really bad mm -hmm. and these people get older mm -hmm. um and so i think that um and and, gov and and assistance for um they're doing the pebt cards and things like that those are going those numbers are going to be important to determine how are we feeding these children mm -hmm. and providing services for insurance so we're gonna have some large numbers either way but it's definitely going to be um affecting our um our um our funding sources and our agencies that provide services. One of the things that a lot of people are looking at with regard to the census information is this whole idea of redistricting. And uh, the state legislature is going to have to go through their process, but the Metro Council is going to have to undertake this whole idea of redistricting uh, also, as well as the school board. Uh, and. Uh, the Metro Council is going to have their own demographer. Mm -hmm. uh, the school board is going to have their own demographer. Could you sketch out for me what the process is for choosing a demographer? Because it does make a difference who draws the map. Uh, I understand that ultimately, if it gets that far, the governor has the final say. But mm -hmm. more often than not, with the parish stuff, it stops with you all if, mm -hmm. if, if, if there is agreement. Uh, so how do you go about choosing a demographer? How do, you, how do you decide whether the demographer is local or out of state? How do you decide whether the, de the demographer uh, is conservative or moderate or liberal? 
So the details about the demographer um, are very limited to me, my knowledge, but I will say that I know that we have started conversations with our parish attorney, with our council administrator, and asking her to look for uh, demographers that we can start making some um, considerations on. And so I don't know how long that process will be, uh, but you listed everything that we need to consider. Um, I think even this was kind of brought up when the Alton Sterling case came and we were trying to find a mediator, right? Mm -hmm. You were trying to find somebody that could um, look at all sides and, and present um, a true, um, accurate um, recapulation of the, the cost. Same thing here. You need someone that f is going to look at everything. Um, and I don't know if for elected officials, I remember listening to something and they were saying that um, where are we on certain districts? Do we want to, you know, have a 55 percent one majority of one race or things like that? Mm -hmm. And some some elected officials that have been, you know, our seasoned elected officials, they want to keep it the same way. Mm -hmm. They're fine with having a majority. Um, but then sometimes you have to cut these districts. And mm -hmm. so that's going to be important. Uh, with your senior elected officials understand that we need more representation. You, yes, you already are in an area that is uh, majority race or majority um, party, but we might have to cut one to get some more representation. Right. I don't have a problem with 55-45. I have a problem with 85-15. Oh. I have a problem with 75-25 mm -hmm. uh, because either way, if it's 75 black, 25 white, or the reverse, uh, whoever the office holder is, he's not going to listen to any uh, opposition uh, group that comes because they don't have enough uh, uh, power within that district to make any real difference. They, they can raise their heads. They can they can speak out. But when it comes time to vote, they can't really do, do anything. anything. Uh, I, I, I would only hope and I don't mind saying this. Now, I would only hope that uh, we would have the integrity to draw more balanced uh, uh, districts on all levels, uh, state, parish, local, uh, so that uh, even if we are not the majority, there is enough of us within that group that uh, we have to be taken seriously. We have to be listened to. And that's uh, where that at-large seat kind of causes some concern because if you represent every, if you are citywide seat, who will be the, who will you, will, who will you be accountable to? Yeah. You know, and so, um, and who's I've never been in favor of uh, of an at large seat when, mm -hmm. when they were talking about two, when they dropped it down to one. Mm -hmm. Uh, now I understand that they've pulled the whole at large thing all together. Maybe it'll make a reappearance, I don't know. But if you if you have a parish wide person on the metro council, uh, that person is essentially the mayor. I was going to say, in most parish, most counties you are then the mayor pro tem because you got you received the most votes yes the most votes that and that means that's what everybody wants you to be the lead yes so 
Yeah. Okay, I've I've bothered you enough about Metro Council stuff. I enjoy uh, you, you. You you're here because you have decided uh, to uh, become a candidate for a family court judge in Division B. Uh, judge Woodruff White is stepping down, and you have decided to run for uh, that seat. What made you uh, decide that it was time to? Uh, perhaps leave the council and move to the judiciary? Um, you know, the my legal career has been very important to me. I think in our last podcast, you said, do you really like being a lawyer? Right. And I said, without hesitation, I love practicing law. I have sustained my practice for the last 10 years, even while being a Metro Council member. I've kept my practice running and I'm a solo practitioner so it's me and the secretary that's in the office mm -hmm. that um that runs my office um and so it's always been a hard desire to 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 be a judge um and when the opportunity presented itself I knew that this was one that was was the one that I felt that I should run for. Um, my practice consists primarily of family law, mm -hmm. also a state law. Um, I started my career doing juvenile criminal law, and um, which most people don't go in, criminal, uh, in juvenile court. Mm -hmm. But um, that afforded me to, after working in juvenile court and doing public interest work as a conflict, a conflict public defender, um, I also had the opportunity to do um, child need to care cases. Um, I worked for Southeast Legal Service as their conflict attorney in multiple parishes. Mm -hmm. So that's abuse cases uh, and neglect cases. And if you know anything about family court, there's a, a large docket weekly with domestic abuse cases. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's, that, that there's a need for someone in that position to have that understanding and that experience um, and then I also do adoptions I'm an, uh, a foster care adoption provider for the Department of Children Family Services while I do everything else um, and that was something that I, when I went in juvenile court I presented a private adoption a judge was very impressed and said you should probably do this as a a, a private a contract attorney so mm -hmm. I, I I connected with the children and family services and been doing that ever since that helps me understand um, and value the non-traditional family structure mm -hmm. the third parties the grandparents the aunties even we have families that are same sex that are now raising children mm -hmm. and so when you understand that the the nuclear family in retrospect is changing um, then you can understand that when it's presented to you in your courtroom. Mm -hmm. And so all those things, I believe, help prepare me for the uh, the position to run for judgeship in family court. And it's a specialty court. Mm -hmm. We have to keep in mind this is a highly emotional place. This is um, dealing with children and families and um, people's money and assets. Mm -hmm. And so when you get into all of that, you have to have someone that has truly had that experience but also someone that has also been connected to the community to understand the community that they represent we just talked about the census and knowing that we are a majority african-american community we need to have we need to have more black judges on the bench mm -hmm. um but definitely need to have a judge on the bench that understands our community mm -hmm. you, you mentioned uh adoptions I imagine foster care falls into that realm as well. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> what's the, 
the word that keeps coming to my mind is backlog, and I don't want to use that with regard to children. What's the waiting list for children to be adopted in East Baton Rouge Parish? Uh, and I, I'm not asking for a specific number, but just give me an idea of what that looks like. So when we start in a child in need of care space, the, if there's neglect or abuse that is verified within 72 hours, um, children are taken away from the home that they live in and mm -hmm. put in a safe environment. And so um, that puts them in a foster care space in general. They are There's numerous, I mean, I, I want to say the first lady of uh, Louisiana is very adamant about pushing foster care. Um, and pushing individuals to be a part of it because we have a limited number of foster care parents. Mm -hmm. And so that's for it. Whether it's a temporary stay or for a permanent stay, mm -hmm. once that, ch that child's um, biological parent, if there's no reunification, then their rights are terminated. Mm -hmm. Then you have your permanent foster care options that turn into a permanent stay for those, those children. If you don't have places to put them, then we can't even get that child to a stable environment um, in a home for adoption purposes. Mm -hmm. But there are a number of single uh, individuals that are starting to want to adopt, so that's helping defray the number. Um, those CASA volunteers are very important. We don't mm -hmm. see that in family court, but you have to also remember family court, family law, and juvenile law is the children's handbook, children's code handbook, mm -hmm. and they are dual in nature because sometimes you will go to f juvenile court to do transfers of custodies and come back to family court to do the permanent custody. Mm -hmm. And so you know, back in the day, people used to go to child support court in um, juvenile court. So that code book covers all of those things. And um, even though there is a definite backlog of the the individuals that need to, to do foster care or to be uh, parents, foster care parents, um, I think that most importantly, we need to think about the third parties um, and the multi, the, um, the generational um, individuals that are stepping in to take care of children as well. Mm -hmm. So grandparents raising grandchildren and things like that. So there is other options than pushing children all the way to foster care mm -hmm. to help defray. Uh, but you know, that's more funding. When mm -hmm. you put somebody in foster care, you have to pay. Right. They reach 18. The, the government has to pay. Right. Um, and, and that's a lot. That's a lot uh, of cost. Um, and I always tell people when we think about child support, as I've been campaigning, a lot of men want to talk to me, right, about child support. But I tell them <laughs> that on the other side of I this, bet they do. yeah, <sighs> on the other side of this, the conversation is the government can't afford to pay the medical expenses of children because mm -hmm. there's, you know, medical uh, government funded medical insurance. Mm -hmm. The government can't afford to pay that, pay child care for you. Mm -hmm. Um, for children without some kind of supplement. So that is why the government said, I can't be the father for every child. Mm -hmm. We need to start um, holding people accountable. Mm -hmm. And that's where that child support conversation kind of evens out. The men don't like part of it, but it's also a government issue as well. Mm -hmm. I talk about it a lot. Well, since, well s since you went to men and child support, I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked your opponent who mm -hmm. was here the other day. What is it about, and it's going to sound sexist, mm -hmm. what is it about these women that they will not force these men to pay child support? They will not go through a court system and force them to pay child support. And I speak from 
a certain degree of experience because I have people who come into this office all the time complaining that John ain't paying baby Jim's child support. Mm-hmm. Do you have a court order that says what he's supposed? No, I didn't. I, I didn't do that. He he told me he was gonna pay this, and 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 he's three months behind, and I I ain't got money to pay for all this. Why will women not avail themselves of the court system uh, in, in order to enforce child support being paid? It's not alimony. It's for the child. It's not for you. Sometimes you don't want to get caught up in a stereotype, right? the stereotypical woman that is trying to get money from a man who does not want to be held accountable. That's the first far-fetched answer. And then the Thank other... Thank you for saying far-fetched. Okay. <laughs> hey, right. I'm just... I was saying, that's a far-fetched answer. The okay. other answer is um, maybe they don't have the access and the finances to go through the private attorney uh, situation and the... Um, the... Uh, child support system may be may take too long right so i don't want to wait four months after going and filling out an application uh with a caseworker for you to put it on a docket and then after those four months we may not i don't really know i don't have interaction with him i can't serve him then it's a whole year before he's ever brought into court so some people are saying i don't have the time to dedicate but i also don't have the money so i can't pay an attorney and then I can't, um, I don't want to go through the process of going through it through um, the government assistance um, district attorney's office to, to move that forward. And then some of them say, well, you're not going to hold them accountable anyway. So I get a judgment. I have a child support obligation. And then I even have, he's in court. He knows all of this. And then he still chooses not to pay. Um, and then the court system doesn't hold him responsible. The men will say the opposite, that the court system only holds the men responsible mm-hmm. and doesn't hold women responsible on the reverse. I think it um, it is a case-by-case situation on why people choose not to go for child support. On the reverse is that we have very large dockets in child support court that's handled every week. Mm-hmm. Um in every courtroom, there's a child support docket, and they don't leave court to five o'clock, you know. And these are some, many of them are uh, uh, in, employed women, employed men, uh, grandparents that are seeking assistance um, from the biological parents. And so um, I think um, that child support is, is definitely on, on one side a hard conversation just in the in the community and I'm saying the black community mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that the other community has any problem with doing that but I think that it's just a hard conversation on both sides as a judge uh, a prospective judge uh, who would have to deal with this on a regular basis uh, what's your response uh, I imagine a lot of it has to do with education uh, before you get into this situation so that you know what you're doing before you ever arrive in a courtroom. But what what do you see as your role as a judge in helping to remedy this problem? You have a dual role. So you have the opportunity to participate in policy. Mm-hmm. You can go to the legislature and advocate um, and, and be on committees. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's one thing Woodruff White did well. She was a part of the policy making of some of the things that you see now in, in law, which is the child support worksheet and the obligation and how they come up with it. Um, as the the trier of fact, my role is to listen and hear what is being presented to determine if the income is um, calculated or imputed in the correct manner. Mm-hmm. And sometimes for certain communities, you know, everybody is working jobs differently, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe, you you know, you have to look at check stubs, and some people don't have check stubs. And I think that's why you have to use a case-by-case basis. You have to remember, judges do have some discretion. Mm-hmm. And you do the set obligation, and then they have discretion to hear considerations of multiple children in the household, to, to hear you know, the, your, your work schedule and how that may play into how much you make and what the other party may make. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, sometimes in court, people don't feel that they are being listened to or heard. Um, and then on the, the other side, that's, I'm going to keep giving both sides, scale of justice, you got to come <laughs> on both sides of the, uh, the, you have to realize that um, when we put our people in the cycle of judgments with the rearages and things like that, they don't ever have the opportunity to come out of it because now you are already in this amount of month amount in arrearages and um you have to pay the um if you have to pay the um the court and the attorney that brought that case or the contempt mm-hmm. that's that's putting them at a disadvantage if they can't go to work if they get arrested so you have to try to find options for the obligor to make the payments mm-hmm. and to keep them working and keep them employed. And so I th- I think that's my job to hear all of that and make sure that we're imputing it correctly, make sure that we understand. Um, and, and now the thing that they do in family court is that they try to put you in, they've tried to put you in the courtroom where, so that all of your children are in the same courtroom. So the judge automatically remembers you had another child Mm -hmm. because the files are in the same courtroom now. And I think that's something that they did right by making sure that you consolidate these cases and you make sure that if he has a case, um, all of his cases kind of come through the same judge. If, if, it judici- if it the jurisdictionally can happen, okay. you put them through that same judge, and then that judge can not take your word for it, but know that he did come last week. Or, mm-hmm. and then we also live in an age where people are getting, um, you know, remarried, and that has to be considered as well. Um, if 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 you are remarrying, um, the law says that the first child wins, right? So the first child to put you on child support is the one that gets the most money, but then the judge has the discretion to to kind of listen to the second child support obligation um, and, and, and bring a judgment um, that represents that, all of the things that goes on in your life. So it's not just a cut-and-dry formula? Uh, it said. is a cut-and-dry formula. Okay. But then you have discretion at the end if it is not... Um, if it's not detrimental to either side mm-hmm. and, and and people come in let's let's not paint the picture that everyone comes in here wait fighting people come in and agree to mm-hmm. they agree to certain amounts that are deviations or lower amounts than what that cut and dry formula produces mm-hmm. and so sometimes judges don't take that they will say that 
um, I think that's too low. Or have you considered this? And so I, I, I think that a judge has to go by the law, which is that cut and dry formula, encourage attorneys to go by the law, mm -hmm. encourage the people that are coming for them. Um, but then also they can take into consideration some other things. When it comes to things like deaths and successions, does that come into the family court or does that go into a different court? Uh, it, no, uh, that's civil. That's, that's a civil. civil matter, so it goes into other courts. But, um, you know, we're having a lot of um, deaths with younger people now. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people that have been in our community acknowledging children mm -hmm. at family functions and things like that, and then dad dies for whatever reason or mom dies for whatever reason. Now we do bring estate cases just for the purpose of establishing paternity so that that child can receive from the parent. Benefits. If it, yeah, benefits. Okay. I mean, I, I, you probably didn't even know this. The Alton Sterling case came through family court. No, I didn't know that. Because they had to establish paternity because some of the children were acknowledged. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have birth certificate signing and and uh, paternity tests. Okay. okay. So that that stuff that does come through family court. Okay. With regard to uh, your current position as Metro Council Woman for District Five, should you be successful in becoming uh, a judge? Uh, what happens to that seat? I, I know it sounds like a civics class, but I just think it, it, it bears uh, bringing up. The seat becomes vacant, um, and at that time, um, the, depending on the time frame that a letter of, because I cannot hold dual office, mm -hmm. so depending on the time that the letter goes out, it will force an election, kind of what the same thing that happened in this seat. Mm -hmm. It forces an election uh, to be called, and then there's a time period for maybe an appointment. Mm -hmm. um, depending on when that election is called, typically you, the, the law currently says uh, with the plan of government that we can appoint if they have a year or more left in that term. Um, and but the plan, the new plan of government change would have said you have to appoint someone within 20 days. Uh, and so I don't know where I fit on if it should be a quicker appointment or not, but it just depends on when that election is called. And then individuals will have the opportunity. You know, Shauna, Councilwoman Banks, changed um, the process. Mm -hmm. So now you have to submit resumes if you want the appointment seat. Mm -hmm. And then the council as a whole will vote on the appointment. Okay. Mm -hmm. Making the move to the judiciary uh, from uh, being a legislator, uh, which is what a council person primarily is, uh, does that preclude you from engaging in other advocacy in the community? Because I know that you're an advocate uh, outside of your responsibilities as a Metro Council uh, person. There are judi judicial canons that that limit a judge in the things that they can do and issue-based topics. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say our judiciary in Baton Rouge has kept themselves involved in issues um, and they've come to the Metro Council to advocate and things of that nature. And so I believe that um, my heart is that I will still have the ability to to uh, help my community mm -hmm. in whatever form, whether it's advocacy, but there is some limits that 
that all judges have mm -hmm. with through the judicial canons. Well, let's talk about Baton Rouge moving forward. Uh, you, you made mention of the fact that uh, we could stand to have more African American judges uh, in our parish, and I certainly agree with that. Uh, somebody might be listening, saying, "Well, what difference does it make whether the judge is, is black or white?" Or, or well, let me start by asking this question. What's your opinion about uh, judges running for office versus judges being appointed uh, to, to, to their seats? I think, I think the same as the, the, with the council seat or any other elected position, I, I think that the, the city and the people that you represent should be able to elect you. Um, there are options for appointments and different, for judge seats and things of that nature. We're looking at all these attorney generals that are being appointed mm -hmm. um, and assistant attorney generals. Um, and we're seeing that there's even federal appointment options for judges. Mm -hmm. So there's still a mechanism to keep it from being a political seat. Um, or, uh, but, but you need to have somebody that represents the, the people that they are there for. Mm -hmm. And so if you have to campaign for it, I, I, I say go for it. There are rules and ways to, to, to um, hold limits on judges um, so that even afterwards, even involvement in organizations and things like that, you're limited just because that case might come in front of you mm -hmm. or someone's case may come in front of you. But um, I definitely think that it should be an elected position. Um, I definitely think that we need representation um, that looks like the city that we are in. Um, and it may be... Uh, um, hard to hear that for some people but it's just changing you know I look at my um, elected counterparts in other cities and they say that when we come to Baton Rouge it just looks like y'all have a lot of elected officials that are black it's, they are in their cities with one or two black elected officials mm -hmm. and it's hard mm -hmm. uh, um, so I'm, I'm happy to know that you know we have a cohort of black elected officials here. Well one of the things you, you, can, you can say to your white counterparts is nobody asked y'all to leave. <laughs> you, know, you, you left on your own. Uh, I, I was looking at the census data this morning. Uh, Ascension Parish, uh, Livingston, Livingston Parish, yeah. uh, Iberville Parish, uh, 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 West Baton Rouge Parish. No, nobody asked y'all to go. Mm -hmm. no, 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 Even all the way out to St. Helena Parish. Mm -hmm. Nobody asked y'all to, to leave. Y'all chose to leave I feel the same way, by the way, about police officers. You know, if 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 you want to work for the city of Baton Rouge, I believe there should be a residency requirement mm -hmm. that says that you live at least within the parish of East Baton Rouge. Nobody, you know, if, if you want to live in Livingston, then go work for Denham Springs. If you want to live in Ascension, then go work for Gonzales. But why should you be able to live in these places and say that you are a public servant of this community and yet you have no stake in this community. Your family has no stake mm -hmm. in this community. Your children don't go to school in mm -hmm. this community. I, I find that problematic. You become disconnected, you know. Even in the family court, a lot of the evidence that is being produced, I'll give you a good example. Um, there was um, a conversation about school choice 
in in a um, hearing that I was having. Like you can literally file for school choice mm -hmm. in family court. Mm -hmm. You have if you have a judge who has no connection to the school system um, and has not you don't know where the school is they're talking about you literally are depending on attorneys to present to you if it's a good school or a bad school mm -hmm. and then you're depending on um, um, parents who may not be as involved or who are uber involved you know in the system to determine even if it's a private school or not what's how do you determine which school is better mm -hmm. for that particular child mm -hmm. and so if you are disconnected from that and even to the extent of I, I had a situation where they didn't even know that the virtual school option for EBR schools was not an option anymore and school started Wednesday right and so you shouldn't have to call in to for every or to be totally dependent on what's presented to you in court now you have to use what they present because mm -hmm. if they don't present it then you can't really but you can take into account that i know that 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 school struggles or i know that this school is you know has these different resources to help this family mm -hmm. and so i think that you have to you do have to have some representation of the people you're in front of mm -hmm. because that's going to be you know hard and even if the like I said, you do have to utilize what's presented to you. So if the attorneys didn't present that information, but you still have to bring in the law and compare it to the evidence that was presented and weigh that. But you got to have some experiences in this, right? And so I, I think that that is the same for a judge. You have to come in with some level of connectivity. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. Um, I know that you're running for. A, a judgeship for family court judge uh, but I, I wanted to ask your opinion as a prospective judge about the way that East Baton Rouge Parish school system is approaching uh, COVID right now uh, masking uh, social distancing uh, vaccinations things of that sort do you think that we're doing a good job uh, so I think that I have a brother that's a teach uh, a teacher been mm -hmm. teaching for 17 years so we'll hold that there so okay. I have some understanding of that mm -hmm. um I, I think that what you have to start with is that the the numbers came out as well that we that virtually virtual school option was not helping the vast majority of the kids mm -hmm. they were low performing put them at who was virtual and who wasn't they they were the lower performing mm -hmm. uh, group and that's a whole nother conversation about access to resources and support systems. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first start. So that there had to be some kind of push that they go back to school. Um, I think that having mask mandates in schools is the best way to, to protect children and educators. We have not required vaccinations for the educators, so parents are concerned. Par there are a number of parents that are very upset that there is only one virtual option, so they can't even, if they don't want to send their child to school, they can't um, protect their children. Um, I think they, the social distancing depends on the school, because um, if if we're already overpopulated, then you know the school mm -hmm. and that, that classroom number is going to be large and you can space them out, but it's still a large number of students in class. I think um, this is one of those trial by error things. You got to see how it's going to work. 
Um, and, and, and so I think what he did, um, superintendent did was was what he felt was best. I don't know if it's best practices mm -hmm. um, for schools across America, but we're like I said, we, we're not fighting people at the front door. Mm -hmm. Most parents, parents are abiding by the the, the guidelines and sending their kids with masks. Um, and so that's all you can hope for. Um, I, I think so. The standard is there. Have you had a conversation with the superintendent? I have. Okay. We, we, and? I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm actually asking my friends that are educators, that are administration, some of them are in administration positions, and um, it started off negative, and most of them are saying, I, I feel that he may be doing a better job. I think we have a school year to look at to see mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of transition over there. No. I'd really like the opportunity to have a conversation with the school superintendent. We've 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 tried and we haven't been able to make that happen. And so next time you talk to the sure school will. superintendent, sure would you will. let him know that there's a whole swath of pastors who are of African American persuasion who would like to be able to sit down and talk with him about things because he says things like we have groups and I want to know what groups he's met with because I'm quite confident about the groups that he has not <laughs> met with. Uh, so so please, please feel free to share that with him at your convenience. How are things going in Gordon? Gloria Land is operated. We are uh, hybrid. Are, are you all in? Or hybrid. You're hybrid. Okay. We're hybrid. So in inside, um, they are having services every Sunday, and then there's still the option to watch it virtually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, um, we did have a summer camp this summer. Good. And so hopefully um, there were very few. Uh, very few. Outbreaks. Very. Not even. Yeah. Hmm. I think we we manned that they were able to watch that pretty good. good. I applaud, the, you know, the the, um, the administrators and the camp counselors that worked with that. So your your uh, seat comes up in uh, October? October 9th, September and 25th through October 2nd. It's early voting. Early voting, okay. Um, I encourage um, people to remember that... Um, you know, the six years that I, I have served as a public servant, um, I have made sure that I connected with the community um, and also have done policy work that, that has helped uh, the community, but also still worked in my position as a lawyer for 10 years and during that six years. And so I made sure that I have um, prepared myself by doing contract work. I didn't say that I was also an adjunct professor for five semesters at the Law Center. Okay. Um, so I, I, I mentor. I really mentor young people, law, law students, and I think that um, lawyers would appreciate that as well. Certainly. Um, my colleagues are um, more than supportive 
And I, I think that um, just want people to know that this is a larger district than my my current district. And so I need um, the support of many um, that usually don't get the opportunity to vote for Could me. you give me the boundaries of your district, please? I like to say we start in South Baton Rouge and we go down the river. So we go through Spanish Town, uh, Beauregard, and um, then we go to North Bad Rouge with this Gus Young Eden Park, Fairfields area. Mm -hmm. We go into Glen Oaks and Marydale, anything on Plank Road. Mm -hmm. We hit all the way to Scenic. So we hit Scotlandville as well as Baker. And we have a small segment of Zachary. It is uh, a large district. It is a large district. Yep. Yeah. Um, a very large district, but um, you know, I, I'm a native, a true native of Baton Rouge. I, my family is from all these areas and so um i haven't just stayed in my district the whole time i've been in service floor is yours say, say whatever you'd like to say before we close this out um I, what i would like to say um is that uh, this seat is one that we should take seriously um be, because many times people think judges they want to make sure they know who the criminal court judge is or the civil court judge mm -hmm. for whatever reason but this is the one that touches on families this is the one that um will affect uh the children that are growing up in the area and this is the one that um, many people don't like to come to but they need to know that they're being heard um, and it's a specialty court and so when we think about things like the domestic violence that's going on in the community we think about child support custody um, and we think about uh, community property that most times that conversation is not had um, you want to make sure that there is someone there that has explored um, opportunity in not just working in their office but also has um, worked in different agencies I've named throughout this podcast um, a number of agencies that I've worked for I am right now an impartial hearing officer for Louisiana Workforce Commission with rehabilitation um, and so I have I have been a trier of fact but I also have worked in public interest work for the for my entire career mm -hmm. so I understand the needs of our community I'm an experienced attorney and um, one dedicated to um, helping both uh, the, the individuals that come before me and listening to the attorneys that come before me as well. And so I just like the opportunity um, to to lead in this role, and I believe that this is where God is moving me to. Um, some will be upset, but um, I believe I've served my community well, and they'll be happy to see me in another position. Councilwoman Erica Green, thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us today. We wish you well in your future endeavor. Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.